Hi, everybody, and welcome to Paul Lisnick Behind the Curtain, uh, my opportunity to leave the world of politics from television behind as we turn to the world of arts and theater, although this one kind of brings in a little history. One could argue a political taint to it uh, if you look back in history for sure, and it actually covers um, a period of history that I'm a huge fan of, which I will prove to my guests in just a second. Um, but let me introduce my guest to you because this is the opportunity for you to listen to what is an audio play. It's like going back to the old days of radio. I couldn't be more thrilled. The show itself is called The White City, an audible exhibition on H.H. Holmes. Joining me, the stars of the production, Ethan Carlson, who plays... Can I say the murderer? I will just say uh, who plays H.H. H. Holmes and his victim. I shouldn't say they did. And um, playing Ben, Keaton Odenkirk joins me. And the man responsible for getting this whole thing written and down on paper, Rick Kinnebrew, the playwright. So, gentlemen, Hi. thanks for joining me. Thanks all. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Happy Paul. to be here. So Good when to be I here. First, when I first heard about this, I have to just tell you up front, I was incredibly excited. I'm a huge collector of the Columbian Exposition of 1893, the whole devil in the white city, you know, uh, Larson stuff and Eric Larson, all that kind of stuff. So I actually, just to prove it to you, I brought in one item. Now I have a green screen behind me, so I have to be careful in how I show this. But in my hand, what I'm trying to show you, this is a um, sort of a mug slash maybe little pitcher from, from the, the Columbian fair? Exposition. Mm -hmm. Wow. And along with, and this is the small, one of the smaller pieces. I have everything from a spittoon to the complete <laughs> artwork set from the Columbia, all 11 volumes of the artwork set, an original volume of the uh, Daniel Burnham's plan. I mean, on and on and on. So this was really exciting for me to, to get into because I'm just a huge fan of this time. Y'all are welcome to come on, come on over and look at the collection for a fee. Uh, let me start with <laughs> now, no fee. Um, Rick, let me just start with you because you are the playwright here. What's interesting about this, we'll talk about the, the about the plot, but it's based in truth. It is. It, it's based on a true story. There really was H.H. H. Holmes living in Chicago at the time of the fair. And uh, investigations proved him to be a, a notorious murderer, like a very early serial killer. So yay, Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> no corruption here. Um, and so, Ethan, you play the actor, Holmes, or sorry, the 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 killer, Holmes, since uh, Rick laid it out of the bag as well. Um, why don't you give us a little bit of what the plot of this is? Who was H.H. H. Holmes? Why was he a bad guy? Well, H.H. H. Holmes was actually very young. Uh, he was in his 20s when he first moved to Chicago, and he set up a uh, several sham businesses, uh, passing himself off as a, a doctor, a pharmacist, uh, doing all sorts of uh, jobs in Chicago and fleecing people out of thousands and thousands of dollars in the process. And if he uh, had to, uh, going to the lengths of murder to cover up his crimes, he, uh, Rick, correct me on numbers, but I think he, uh, he admitted to killing far more people than he actually did when he was finally caught. But he killed dozens and dozens of people in his lifetime. He is a very prolific murderer uh, and did not do it for uh, pleasure, nearly as far as we know. Uh, very much did it in a kind of pragmatic sense to tie up loose ends, which is much more chilling in a way. And, and by the way, Rick, with all of the killings, this story is the only one which takes him down, right? Um, yes, as a matter of fact, you're right. This is the story of the, the murder that finally broke his streak. Yeah. Um, thank goodness there's no politicians who would lie about their past and lie about what they do and steal <laughs> money from people and all of that. Um, 
<laughs> no, no, no reality to that sense, New York Congressman. Um, Keenan, so you play Ben. You're a nice guy. You're you're just an innocent guy in this. Tell us about Ben and how he plays a role in this. Yeah, he's, uh, well, unfortunately, a chronic alcoholic, uh, as well as a chronic optimist, which I think is why he kind of gets looped into everything is he can always see a situation turning out okay, that he's going to be okay, no matter what, but he really needs to find kind of a foothold in the city because he moved him and his wife um, into Chicago to kind of find opportunity. And uh, kind of due to his alcoholism and uh, his partying, and uh, at least in real life, he did have some uh, not physical disabilities, but he had a really bad back. And he just because of years and years of hard labor and hard work, he was uh, he, he was a guy who didn't look like someone you wanted to hang wanted hanging around any you know professional establishment. So finding work for him was really, really hard. And there was so many people coming into Chicago at the time. Uh, it would have been really hard for someone like him to find gainful employment. So he finds it with H.H. Holmes, who uh, treats him well and actually pays for him to go get clean and uh, handle his alcoholism, which completely changes his life, really establishes a trust and uh, and and that sort of re- relationship between them to the point where he will then do anything for H.H. Holmes. And quickly, Holmes takes advantage of that to make him start moving bodies, help him with murders and uh, start running these insurance scams, um, which ultimately leads to to Ben's uh, untimely demise. <laughs> well, that gives a little away. Um, uh, in a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> that, no, that's, that's, I'm sure Rick's okay with it. By the way, Rick, to what, for those people who are saying, is this Devil in the White City? I mean, is that what is what is the overlap with Devil in the White City by Eric Larson? Well, uh, Larson's book spends a lot of time on the creation of the fair and Daniel Burnham. And um, this this story doesn't really involve Burnham in any way. But there is a very nice trip to the fair that the characters make. And if you want to talk about like the magic of radio and, and audio plays. That's where I'm going next. Okay. Well, it, there is a beautiful moment where they get on the Ferris wheel. And what makes that work is just really excellent sound design from a theater in the dark. It's It has music. It has, uh, I don't know, just sort of an ambient sound where you get that feeling of uplift. And uh, it's a beautifully delivered moment, I think, in the story. So, Rick, let me actually stay with you, because when I started talking about this, although we all knew we were talking about this audio program, because listeners and viewers of this show know I do so much theater that they're they're sitting there going, why doesn't he say what theater we can see this at? Where is this playing? This is incredibly unique, and it actually excited me. I'll tell you, as, as a kid, you know, I would go to sleep at night. It was the day before cable and stuff like that, but you can turn on certain radio stations. Oh, you still can. And you get these old-time radio shows uh, that yes. you could listen to back from the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and Jack Benny and whatever. And I would just I'd listen to that stuff. I kind of still do from time to time in my car. There's an old radio channel. Um, that's what we have here, right? Where you've taken us back in this creation to the days of radio with a theater in the dark. The website, by the way, I'll say it a few times, but a theater in the Um, yeah, tell us about that. This indeed is an audio program. By the way, I listened to in one shot on a nice long dog walk. Oh, wow. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's an audio play. It is sort of a throwback form. And, um, you know, I had the script. I hate to tell you how long I've had the script. I actually wrote an initial draft of it in the year 2000 when I was working for the city of Chicago. As a radio, and, uh, to be a radio piece? No, it was a stage play at that point. 
what I thought. Yeah. And uh, and then out came Larson's book, which was like, you know, a tsunami across the globe. So, you know, my script went into a drawer. And uh, years later, I took it out and was noodling on it and thought, okay, I can fix it up. I've got a new idea for uh, how to make it more feel like a midway presentation. And um, guess what happened to the theater world? All of a sudden, it shut down because of uh, the COVID pandemic. And uh, which shut down live theater, but it didn't shut you down. No, it didn't. I I had work to do. You know, you can't stop writers, even if they're on strike. I think they're all still actually writing. Um, So I happened to hear um, Theater in the Dark's Moby Dick. And it was such a cool experience, too. And the music was so nice and the voice acting was so grounded that I thought, you know, I bet I could rewrite this for audio. And so I, I did a version of that and then reached out to Corey at uh you know Corey Bradbury at Theater in the Dark and we started uh scheming it up. So Ethan and Keenan, you guys are actors. We've seen you around town. Let me just one by one, Keenan, I'll start with you this time. So talk about just a couple of things you've done on stage and what intrigued you to audition. I assume you had to audition, um, to get what would be a, a role that we wouldn't even see. It's gonna be the magic of your voice, along with Foley effects and other things, but it was all about your voice. Yeah, uh, well, a Theater in the Dark was one of the first companies I auditioned for when I got to Chicago, and I loved the idea. And similar to you, Paul, I, I grew up listening to uh, um, these radio plays, Superman and Dragnet and those sorts of things. So I, I loved that that sort of form. And um, then the pandemic happened, and it was definitely something I was thinking more and more about. And this opportunity came along. I love H.H. Holmes and true crime stuff. And uh, I was looking for something. I was going to be out of town for a little while and I wasn't going to be able to do any theater or film. So I was looking for something that could kind of keep my my foot in the water. And this was perfect because I was able to travel and, and continue to to do these performances and continue to do these rehearsals. So it was kind of the perfect timing for me personally. Well, so Ethan, before I go on to you, so I guess I have to ask you, Keenan, because I assume that at some point everybody was in a studio where this was putting together. So this was able, this was put together remotely. Completely remotely. In fact, we were never in the same room together until the production was complete and we had a nice little dinner together. And that was the first time anybody was in the same room together, but it was all of us in our individual studios at home Um all just connected over a Zoom call. And then when we did the actual performances, the audience would tune into a Zoom call and we would uh, hit record on the software we had on our individual computers, which was ultimately what was taken and then cut together to form the the final product. Wow. So, and by the way, I love the magic of the voice. I And you talk about the pandemic. Grey Gardens, which was at Theo Ubuquet, um, they invited me to come in and record what was the audio track. Whenever, if you've seen Grey Gardens, there's a radio track from time to time. So I recorded that. And, of course, the show shut down just as it was about to open. Pandemic. Never got my break. So, Rick, in your next piece, if you want to do a radio version of Fiddler on the Roof, I'm happy to be your Tevya. But, oh, Ethan, cool. <laughs> let, me come, let me come to you. Uh, same question about, you know, the story for you. Performance, whatever. And this is an opportunity to... Just use your voice. Was it that challenge or like Keenan, was it a I had nothing to do. I had to do something like this. Well, I was uh, fortunate. Uh, I worked on the workshop production of uh, of this uh, radio play back in. Rick, was that 2021 or was that 2020? You remember? I don't actually, but but I remember. it was it was very, very early on in the pandemic. That's when I first got eyes on this script. And I, I, I had a wonderful time uh, doing that workshop that was recorded just for essentially Rick to mull over 
and uh, keep workshopping. And then when uh, when the world started to open back up, I went back to the world of uh, stage theater. Uh, uh, did a very successful run of Sweeney Todd uh, with uh, yes, Go Candy yes, Productions. Yeah. And thank you. And uh, then when uh, Theater in the Dark reached out to me asking if I'd like to audition for the full production of this piece, I immediately said yes because I had great memories of doing it. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, forging my voice acting career as we speak, and it was wonderful to get a dramatic opportunity to use those skills and uh, test out the sound quality of my booth. That was, a, that was another plus. <laughs> Uh, but it was just a wonderful time, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity and grateful to play a very complex and sinister character in it. You definitely have the radio tone in your voice. I can attest to that. Uh, as Thank you. That. Uh, so, Rick, did you have to modify? So at first you're writing a play. That's why I asked you about that. But ultimately you come up with this idea of maybe this needs to be this sort of audio book or audio play. What kind of modification? Did you have to go back to that script? And now there's no staging. There's nothing like that. But you do have to add in Foley, meaning sound effects, that kind of thing. Yeah, it was a big change for me because, you know, writing for stage, you try and do a lot visually where, you know, stories are told sometimes just by an action that a character takes. And uh, in this case, a lot got stripped out. And I was frankly kind of worried if it was going to seem too skimpy. Um, I didn't account for like how potent the music and the the voices would be. and in working with Corey, you know, he's a pro for audio design. So we talked about sound to make things real. There's a scene in a uh, in a morgue, and uh, I was really surprised, like how granular his attention to sound was, because I had okay a water drip. He had water dripping, and then you can tell it's hitting stone, and there's a little bit of an echo. And just in that, you realize okay, we're it makes you cold. You realize okay, well, I'm in a damp, cold morgue room now. It's very evocative what you can do. And it's why I love this format. You know, it's funny. I, I was kind of late to podcasts. I don't know, just the timing of it. I'm always listening to news and stuff because what I do, but, but I started, you know, I do listen to podcasts now. And, but what I found lately, there are Jason Alexander. There's different people who are doing these performance podcasts, um, or plays. One is, I'm just forgetting her name, Julia, uh, not Juliet Roberts, but anyway, big names, you know, and they're doing these series podcasts or on Lucy or whatever it is. So this really, I think, is a is a growing art form, even though it was one of the original art forms that just went away when when yeah. television is, and it came around. But I'm so glad that it's coming back. Ethan, so when you when you were recording this, did you get to hear the Foley effects? Is that done post? You know, did you just sort of do your thing and then you yourself were surprised when you listened to the track? Uh, when we did it, uh, when we did our three live performances uh, before our, uh, our like main cut was put together and made public, uh, the Foley was played along uh, on our director's uh, computer, so everybody listening in could hear it. So we did get a chance to hear ourselves along with the the music and the sound effects, uh, and that also for an actor. It's incredibly helpful. It's like it's the difference between uh, going on to a production you expected to have a set and it's just a black box. Uh, we got to really be uh, supported by those sound effects and it really helped us, especially when we don't have other actors in the room, immerse ourselves in the setting of the scene and the stakes of the conversations we're having. 
I was just thinking like if they did Sweeney Todd or they did the you know current version on Broadway with Josh Groban, right? And this was done audio, you know, you couldn't hold the knife up and scare everybody. You'd probably have to have one of those razor things where you you rub it up and back mm-hmm. on the razor to make the sound so that people know yeah. it's a razor. That's the the power and the magic of all of this. Uh, Keenan, yeah. as you were doing this, were you, because I know you said you were remote and people were doing this, were you all on at the same time so you could at least, and I don't know if it was visual like this where we can see each other. Was it just audio? I mean, how did you interact with your cast members, your wife, the different people you had to interact with? Uh, it was all audio. So we we had our cameras off during the performances and it was really theater of the mind for all of us the entire time, um, which actually really helps, frankly, um, in terms of just the actual connectivity through the Internet. Not having video really helps with the the speed so that I can have a line that can immediately follow or overlap with my partner's line um, that so they don't, you know, it, it doesn't get met, mixed up. It doesn't break the flow of the performance. And we get that as close as possible. Um, but, but you, you were a, doing it at the same time, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it really was just like kind of being in a room together, but in our heads, I guess is the best way of putting it. Uh, I would just sort of picture the scene itself and picture the people I'm speaking with and, and the, the visual I had in my head of what these characters looked like and their behaviors and their facial expressions was probably different from that, uh, in, in everybody else's head. But that was kind of the magic of things is that, um, despite that difference, despite not being in the room with everybody, uh, we really managed a cohesive product at the end of the day where everybody was very much on the same page artistically as to what was going on in scenes. And Corey Bradbury deserves full credit for that, um, as well as Rick's very clear and and just delightful writing um, to get us all there to know where we were headed. Rick, did, were you part of the casting as well or was it just Corey? I, I worked with Corey. So I can um, ask you this in, in question. Casting, yeah. So ordinarily, if you're casting a play or you're doing something, you're, 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 you're looking for a certain look, right? That kind of thing. But these guys, these guys could both look like hunchback of the, it doesn't matter, um, because we're not seeing them. And that's there's right. They're, the they're being handsome is like irrelevant. So uh, welcome so, to my world. So out of curiosity, how did you, with the auditions, did you see them or did you just say, I don't even need to see you? I just want to hear your voice. Yeah. I mean, how'd you do that? It was all, uh, they were reading bits from the script. So it was all like, how did they sound? Where did the voice take you? Did you believe it? Yeah. So, Ethan, how did you prepare for that? You know, you're playing this murderer guy who is young. You guys are not terribly old, you know, not not like me and Rick. But um, so what what did you do with your what? You have your voice. So do you you have a deep voice? Was that part of you like, oh, this is going to be good to try and play this older character? Uh, the deep voice is uh, the deep voice is a plus. Uh, uh, people hear a deep voice and they think authority. They think uh, darkness, grimness. Somebody uh, who has something important to say. Uh, for me, the trick to Holmes though was intensity, uh, rather than any any certain level of voice. I could I could do his voice very high, but it had to be pointed. It had to have intensity because Holmes is a very intentional character. He does not do things unless he thinks he can profit from what he's doing. That's half the reason he sends Ben uh, off to get clean. He believes that he can then uh, get the secrets of the cure they were giving to Ben from him once he comes back and is so grateful that he'll just give Holmes anything he wants. So it's all about the vocal intensity and intention for me. Keenan, what about you? How about how did you play with your voice for the audition or not? You had to be thinking a lot about it. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I was a little worried that that would like, unlike Ethan, uh, I don't have as much of what I'd call a radio voice. I've got kind of a 
younger, higher voice. And I was worried about that because Ben is an older guy, uh, older than me, certainly, who has done a lot of drinking, and that affects the voice pretty substantially. So I did some research as to how drinking affects the voice over long periods of time. Um, And I tried to implement a little bit of that. And then I tried to pull things down a little bit deeper, which ended up the, the higher, younger voice ended up working in my favor quite a bit because there was that kind of grisly quality of a lot of drinking, many years of drinking. But the younger quality my voice naturally has, I think, added to the fact that he is an optimist and he can see, he tries to see the fun and the joy in anything he can, uh, followed by these deep pits of despair after things don't go so well. And that ended up working nicely for me, uh, despite it originally I thought it would be an issue, but they cast me. I'm here for some reason. So, so, so Kenny, can you give us just a touch of the Ben voice, a, a line or something? So we, we hear Ben from you. Oh, do I have anything I in my head? Oh, you him. can make anything up. I don't care what line you use. You can make anything up. Oh, do you remember anything All of right. the letter from uh, when he's getting dried out, out on the prairie and he writes to Carrie? Oh, yeah. Um, Dear Carrie. That's my dearest wife. That's it. I write to you from a warm room full of Persian rugs. All the other men, something like that, something to that effect. I love that. That's good. And I remember that voice. So, by the way, did you did you not have to memorize the script, Keenan? Uh, by the time that we were done, everybody probably had it in their head somewhere, and the script was just for comfort, pretty much. All right. And by the way, if you couldn't remember anything, it was going to be fine. I was just going to blame it <laughs> on the, the drinking blackouts. Um, <laughs> so, research? You mean the research? The research right. part, yeah. Uh, so, Rick, when you would put these these folks together, I'm assuming you had lots of people audition for it. You just got all these voices and stuff, but you also had to, like, you know, when I listened to Holmes and Ben, again, I didn't know what you guys looked like. It was prior to, to you know, exploring mm-hmm. getting you for this interview and stuff. But I heard the difference. I mean, I just, you just, yes. you heard Holmes, we had to be, you heard Ben is this more innocent guy. So mm-hmm. Rick, when you were listening to all the cast, the cast is much bigger than just you two. You had to be able to, to be sure that in the end, we got the whole, the whole panoply of, of voices we needed to hear. And it has to work as an audio, audio track. You're right. You need, uh, you need uh, cast dynamics so that you can tell who's speaking because, um, you know, they're not walking on stage. So it does help if there's a voice that is recognizable and you can remember. And these two guys, you know, they're playing the main relationship in the story, really. It's really yeah. kind of a buddy story. That's why I invited you guys. Yeah, they're the ones. They're the, they're the core. And uh, their two voices together are really nice. And in the auditions, one of the things that I would listen for was, well, I called it believability, but it's sort of like, can you hear the actor thinking? You know, mm-hmm. that's... And at that point, the script, like for me, doesn't exist anymore. Then we're in a story with real people. So that's that's what I tune into. This, by the way, this was this was a first for you, right? Writing sort of this radio script. I'd written some radio comedy sketches that it, that got produced, but this was the first full length serious uh, radio. And so, out of curiosity, is it like can't wait to do this again? Need a story, or was it like done? Been there, done that, and I'm going to go back to stage. I would love to do it again because you know I. I like writing really uh, kind of heightened language. I like listening to actors. I get very, very excited by uh, by voice, you know, like this, like country women singers. If they've got something in their voice, I, I, I go nuts for them. Huh. So. And, 
And Keenan, Ethan, for you guys, I mean, is, is this as rewarding? I mean, the good news on Zoom, we've all lived with this for a few years. You don't have to wear makeup. You don't have to look nice. You don't even need pants. That's the whole world of Zoom. Um, would both of you say, yes, I need to do more of this because it is, because it's a great art for, forget that stupid stuff, but you know, because it's the art form that it is or Keenan, we'll start with you. Would you say, I, I want to be back on stage? Um, I am back on stage and it's very, very different, but ultimately this was so rewarding because I love the art form. I really, I had never done it before. And having that final product that you can go back to and see what you did is really nice the way it's nice in film. But, um, the charm of radio is just something undeniable and indescribable. Frankly, I couldn't give you the detail about it. May It's probably nostalgia, maybe, but people, modern audiences who may or may not have had contact with it seem to really, really love it. And being able to play the story out in your own mind while also having the benefit of that, the, the talent that, that uh, actors bring and, and the sound design and the, the writing, um, it really, it, it basically feels like your own imagination but with all of the production value of, uh, you know, that a uh, group of artists can bring, but it almost feels self-generated because it's happening in your head. And that's something that any other visual medium can't recreate is the feeling of ownership that you get over what plays out in your own mind. Kind of like reading a book, I guess, would be something close, but more than that, because there's there's actors and sound and et cetera. Well, that's a good point. I, my last couple of books I've written are fiction books. And I, so I had to be very conscious of creating that image, uh, mm-hmm. that, that people, that you can't see. But one day, if somebody made a movie out of them and Rick, perhaps you will buy the rights. Um, uh, you know, the, uh, and you got to create the visual piece of it. And Ethan, having just done Sweeney Todd, what an incredibly visual show, right? I mean, put this, put the Sondheim soundtrack, not soundtrack, but cast track is, I hate when people say soundtrack when you're talking about a play. Um, but, but, but put the, the Sondheim music behind. I mean, it is an incredibly visual show. I would love to just watch it and hear, hear no sound. But what about you then? So you return to that. You've done this. Do you sort of say, no, send me to the next Sondheim or I'm ready for more radio? I'd be happy to do both for the rest of my life. Uh, radio is a very unique challenge to an actor, especially one who has been doing only stage things. Keenan's uh, covered basically every point that I could say, but that the need to visualize with crystal clarity uh, who you're talking to in a way that even when you're doing a monologue on stage is very, very different because you're still supported by the visual of you in front of the audience. Uh, That challenge is a fascinating one to wrestle with, and I thoroughly enjoyed my chance to do so, and I would happily do it again in a heartbeat. Well, I congratulate all of you because as I said, I, you know, when I first got the notification about the program and, you know, it it took me a little while until I was able to get to it. And and once I did, I just couldn't stop listening to it. I literally knocked it out, as I said, in it might have been two dog walks, but um, but but in an evening because I just wanted to see what was going to go on and go happen. It just really kept me gripped. And 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 again, sort of in this world now where I'm loving the radio concept, I'm loving the, you know, the the, the fiction podcast, the, just the whole notion. This was such a treat um, that I want to encourage everybody who's watching or listening to, to go to a theater in the dark. And I'm going to emphasize the word A at the beginning, because some people might just type in theater in the dark. It's got A theater in the dark. And theater, sadly, not spelled the proper British way, T-R-E. It is spelled (laughs) the American way, T-E-R. That's the way life goes. But it's a theater in the dark dot com where, Rick, I understand actually there's other audio programs available for people to listen to. That's the beauty of it. Uh, as we were saying before, you you keep a copy. So there's like the Moby Dick show that I heard is available there, too. 
So, and the good news is I don't have to give an end date for this. I mean, I don't know if it'll be up forever, but but you can listen to it at your leisure and pleasure when you're walking the dogs uh, or when you're just sitting at home. Doesn't really matter. Even at night, getting ready to go to sleep. Just put this. No, no, maybe maybe this isn't good when you're going to sleep because you'll start dreaming about murder. But yeah. um, but it was so enjoyable. I congratulate all of you. This is just just so much fun. Again, a theater in the dark.com. Rick Kinnebrew, congratulations on the next play. Um, Thank you. Ethan and Keenan and I will look forward to working together in performing in that next vehicle, whatever it is. And <laughs> and Ethan Carlson, Keenan Odenkirk, you guys are great. Look forward to seeing you back in live stage as you already are uh, in the future. Congratulations, guys. Once again, a theaterinthedark.com. Check this out. White City, an audible exhibition on H.H. Holmes. It's history. It's real. Thanks for being with me. And thanks for my collection of 1893 memorabilia. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Paul. Thank you.